It is good to see each of you. If you're visiting with us this morning, again, we welcome you. It is good to be together to worship God. It is an exciting time in the life of our congregation here at Mount Juliet. Uh, you will be receiving in Bible class this morning a booklet about our SOS. You know, the cry of SOS to save souls that were perishing uh, was the original usage of the word SOS, save our souls. And we want to make sure that our souls are saved today. And we know that when we read in the scriptures that saved individuals work for the Lord. We're going to study that this Sunday morning and next Sunday morning. This Sunday morning, we'll place the emphasis on being saved. Ephesians 2, 1 through 9. And then verse 10, we find out that once we've been created anew through Christ Jesus, that he creates us as his workmanship to do good works for him. Be sure that you pick up one of these. There's a form that goes along with it, and this form will also help us stay informed of who each other is. Uh, and then information that we really need to know to be able to stay in touch with each other. And so any of that information that you're willing to share, uh, that is very, very helpful. Also, there's a ministry fair. Many of you have probably already noticed in the fellowship area just across the foyer here. Every ministry that we are a part of in the life of this congregation is displayed there and there will be deacons standing around after each of the morning worship services this morning and then before the evening worship service and after the evening worship service and then also before and after Wednesday evening Bible classes. As you read through this book this week, no doubt you will have some questions. That's why we have the ministry fair. You're able to go through and find individuals that can answer those questions. If not, pick up the phone and call those individuals. We want to make sure that everybody that is a willing servant of the Lord has a place to serve in the life of this congregation. I want to challenge you to, to set a goal for yourself. For example, it may be to say, I want to serve at least one hour a week in the organized work of the Lord's church here at Mount Juliet. And if so, look through these and find the opportunities that you'll serve one hour. It might be to be involved in an outreach team, which meets once a month. It might be to help with a youth devotional that meets once a month. Well, that's one hour for two different weeks. It may be to help in a jail ministry once a month. Well, that's a third week. And then you may find another area to work uh, for like Meals on Wheels, a fourth week. Find a place that you can serve and make sure that you're consistently serving the Lord. What a blessing that'll be in your life as you submit and make God the Lord of your life. Keep in mind, Lord, servant. You see, there's no reason for us to call him our Lord if we aren't serving him. Uh, he's only our Lord when we have submitted to him and we're willing to serve him. So if you're willing for him to be the Lord of your life, let's make sure that we all work together to serve God together here. Uh, there'll be announcements in Bible classes about this uh, that will just be to better inform us in that. And be prayerful about this. We simply want God's will to be done for us to grow spiritually and to grow as we reach out to those around us that do not know Jesus as their Savior. Mayor LaGuardia was quite a colorful fella. He was mayor of New York City back during the Great Depression. He was only five foot four inches and always wore a corsage uh, made out of a carnation. On, on his lapel. He's known for going by and picking up entire orphanages and taking them to a pro baseball game. He was also known for things like going on local radio stations on Sunday 
just to read the funny section to all of New York City. One particular night, he went by night court and he told the judge, take a break, I'll take over your bench. And he did. It was in January of 1935 that an older woman was brought in and she was being accused of stealing bread. He questioned her about that accusation and she pled guilty. She said, sir, my daughter is very, very sick and her children are starving to death. I didn't have any money. We literally were going to perish. And yes, I did steal that bread to save the life of my family. The judge looked over to the storekeeper that was also present, which the bread had been stolen from. He allowed him to speak. He said, sir, I have pity on the lady, but I live in a rough neighborhood. And if we allow her to steal, it's just going to send the message that other people can steal also. I don't know what else to do but to punish the lady for stealing. Immediately, he flipped his hat over, Mayor LaGuardo. He pulled out a $10 and he threw it in the hat. And he said, ma'am, it is against the law to steal. You either have to pay $10, fine for stealing, or serve 10 days in jail. Now, here's the hat. Your $10 is already in it for your fine, and I find everybody else that's present in this room tonight 50 cents for being in a town where a woman has to steal in order to keep her family alive. And he passed the hat and made everybody pay 50 cents. That night, $47 was collected for that family. Now, perhaps we look at that story and we say, that's just a slight touch of grace there. When we see an individual that did wrong and the penalty had to be paid, but yet more was given to that individual to relieve them of the punishment of which they were due to make their life better. Perhaps that doesn't even touch the hem of the garment of the grace that God offers us. But friends, we serve a righteous and just God. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, Romans the third chapter and verse 23, 4, and 5 tells us that that was a demonstration of the righteousness of God. Now think about that. How is the cross a demonstration of the righteousness of God? God was showing the whole world His Son as if to say, I told you, death is the punishment for sin. Friends, if I don't think God is going to hold me accountable for my sin, I need to remember He held his own son accountable since his son was willing to pay the price for sin. The cross represents a demonstration of the righteousness of God. He is just. He is righteous. His justice and righteousness demands that sin be punished. But he also flipped his hat over. And in Romans, the fifth chapter and verse eight, we read of the fact that also Jesus dying on the cross was a demonstration of God's love. Never before had mankind seen such an act, such a demonstration of love. As God says, I do have to punish sin by the penalty of death but I've given my son to pay that price because I love you. That one act of Jesus hanging on the cross was a demonstration of the righteousness and justice of God as well as the love of God. 
And so we, because of that, have rich, rich passages of Scripture like Ephesians, the second chapter, where Paul is talking to a group of individuals that were saved, but he did not want them to forget what it was to be saved. He wanted them to remember what were you saved from because we tend to not appreciate our salvation if we forget where we came from. And once we recognize that we've been saved from, in verse 10 he says, I want you to also realize you've been saved to do something. In other words, we have been saved from something for something. We have been saved from something for something. And that's what Ephesians 2 1 through 10 teaches us. Let's look at some passages here in Ephesians 2 as we look at verse 1, 2, and 3 again. I'd like you to notice something deadly. Ephesians 2, 1, 2, and 3. Look at this, these phrases that have been underlined in bold to notice what is deadly whenever our life is in the trespasses of sin. Verse 1, And you he made alive and were dead in the trespasses of sins, in which you once walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power there, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desire of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, just as the others." As we look to these next slide, this next slide, I'd like for you to notice those four things that we underline in bold there are listed in this next slide. As we think about out of verse 1, he talked about the penalty of death and of, of our sins and trespasses is the penalty of death. He talked about the course of death, the way that we live. He talked about the master, that we become sons of disobedience because our master is Satan. And then he talked about the lust of the flesh that rules our life because we live by the desire of death. In other words, we probably do not think about it being the desire of death. Let's think about these now in reverse order. Start at the bottom. I don't know anybody really that goes out and says, I want to live against Jesus because I have a strong desire to be eternally lost. Can you imagine someone saying, I've been meditating and picturing the day of judgment. I've been meditating what it's like to hear Jesus say, depart from me, I never knew you, and to be cast into an eternal fire, a lake of fire and brimstone, a place where grown men will gnash their teeth and cry like babies. I really have never met anyone that says, I have a desire for damnation. But friends, Satan is the father of lies. And what we do read here in verse 3 is that there are a world full of individuals that will live their life based off of lust. Lust is sinful desire. They will base their life off of their will. Notice that in verse 3, it's their will, not the will of God. Tonight, we'll briefly touch on our lesson tonight about the difference in the will of God and our will. Here, the will of God is not being lived. It's the will of flesh, and it is the desire, the lust that rules life. When that happens, Satan becomes our taskmaster. You know, we read recently in our daily Bible readings that Exodus, the first chapter. You remember when the Pharaoh that no longer knew Joseph was afraid of the people of Israel as they grew in number and in strength? You remember their decision was to start breaking down the nation, to literally destroy some of the people, to make them weaker. 
And there he says in Exodus, the first chapter, that he appointed his taskmasters to make the people serve with rigor. Now that's how it reads in our New King James, that the people were to serve with rigor. That doesn't just mean that they were to serve hard. The word rigor literally means to break or to crush. He gave them commands for those taskmasters to make those people serve in such a way that it would literally break them down. Some of them would begin dying. We have a taskmaster over our spiritual life, Satan, that wants to break us down. If I'm living based on my will and my flesh, I have a master, Satan, that wants to destroy my soul. That leads us to second from the top there, and that is our course. Notice here in verse 2, he talks about the course of this world. Those who their conduct, now that's interesting that he mentions conduct in verse 3. Remember the last couple of weeks we've talked about the fact that if we're going to be a holy, just as he is holy, our conduct has to be holy. Well, see, there's a conduct living down in the world. There is a conduct when we live by our own righteousness, which is sinfulness. It's sinful lust. When we live as Satan as our taskmaster, we have a conduct that lives by the course of the world. I want you to think with me for just a moment of the simple word course. You can picture an obstacle course. There's a certain way you run, and there is a finish line. You can imagine pulling out a map for a marathon and seeing that the marathon runs these 26.2 miles, but then it has a finish line. Or we've taken courses in school where if it's Algebra 1, at the end of the year, intellectually, there's a finish line. At the end of the year, if you have taken this course, you should know this information. What's the course that we're to be on? You remember Jesus Christ saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. Jesus is the course that we are to live. He is the direction that we walk so that the end will be with the Father. But now think, these people weren't on that course. These people, they were with the course of the world. What's that course? And what is the end? Turn over to Matthew, the seventh chapter, a passage that you probably remember pretty well. Matthew, the seventh chapter, of course, we're in the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus gives us insight to both courses that we've just referred to. He begins by saying in Matthew, the seventh chapter, in verse 13, enter by the narrow gate. You see, that's the finish line. The Lord wants us to enter into a finish line that is narrow. But there's only one course that leads to that finish line. Well, there is another course that we can travel also. Look at this as we read on in the 13th verse of Matthew, the 7th chapter. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Broad's the path. Wide's the gate. Do you realize that all we have to do to be on the course of the world is to not be on the course with Christ? It's that simple. Someone says, no, no, I believe you have to be a real violent criminal to be in the course of the world. Well, they are. But you know, there's a lot of religious people that aren't faithful to the Lord. They're on that same course of the world also. As a matter of fact, when we see the seven churches of Asia... In Revelation, the first few chapters, you remember five out of the seven churches, the Lord told them if they didn't repent, 
He was going to remove their candlestick from them. In other words, he was telling those churches, you are on the wrong course. I'm sending you this message. You've got the opportunity to repent. You've got the opportunity to get back on course. But you're already there on the wrong course. Friends, notice that first line, how serious it is. For all those that are on that course, the penalty is death. When we hear Jesus say in Romans, the sixth chapter, and 23 in his new covenant, that the wages of sin is death. Spiritual death. The word death means separation. We are separated from God. Notice, he has said all of that to say, this is where you were. That's a bad place to be. What could help any individual that was living by that desire, with that taskmaster, living that course in life, with that end of spiritual death? What could help that person? As we look at this next slide, I would like for you to notice verse 4. And I want you to notice the first two words. And maybe even take this one and meditate on it. This is awesome. Verse 4 begins, But God. Now, wait a minute. What was missing in verse 1, 2, and 3? When an individual was forming their desire in life, what was missing? God. When an individual was choosing their taskmaster, you can either have Satan or you can have God. What was missing? They were sons of disobedience. They chose Satan, not God. And when they were choosing their course that they would live in life, they didn't choose God's way. They chose the course of the world. And when they could have been alive spiritually, they didn't choose God. Friends, if it doesn't excite you to think about that first phrase in verse 4, you just haven't thought about the grace of God lately. Where were we in 1, 2, and 3? terrible lost condition what is the only hope for anyone that's lost the only hope is but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love which he loved us even when we were dead in trespasses made us alive together with Christ by grace you've been saved and raised us up together and made us set together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus You see, we've been saved from something because we were something bad. There was something terrible taking place in our life and we couldn't change it on our own. But God, but God, what did God do? His great love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God's love is unconditional. Friends, if you're sitting here this morning and you're saved, God loves you. If you're sitting here this morning and you've never heard a message from God before, God loves you. If you're living a life that is wicked, God loves you. God's love is unconditional. He loved the whole world and He sent His Son to die. His love offers something that not everyone accepts. You see, it offers rich mercy and saving grace. That's conditional. 
Not everyone receives that gift of rich mercy. Not a little mercy. Well, you just don't understand the sins I've committed. Well, you don't understand the rich, the abundant mercy of God. God's mercy can forgive any sin. Mercy is when we don't receive the punishment that we deserve. Grace is when the Lord offers for us what we do not deserve. God's love offers that mercy. God's love offers that grace. So one day, all of those that have received, they have responded, they have submitted their life to the Lord, receiving Him as their Lord, those individuals will receive this mercy and grace. And eventually, those individuals will enter into gates, the narrow gate, the gate that is at the end of the way, the course that is Jesus the ones who have allowed Jesus to be the master of their life, not Satan. The ones who no longer walk that way by their self-desire and their own lust, but they have left that life and now they're living by the will of God, desiring God's will to be done. Those individuals will hear, well done, and they will enter into a rest. They will enter into an eternal home. They will enter into a place of the presence of God that they do not deserve. Only by God's grace will any of us be there. What does it do for us? As we look at this next slide, notice it's the same verses, but this time we have different things underlined and bold. Previously, we underlined and bolded the things that dealt with God. Now notice the things that deal with us. This is what God wants to offer us. He did it because He loved us. And then when we look in verse 5, we were dead in trespasses, but notice... He wants to make us alive, and that's only through Christ and by God's grace. And notice six, he wants to raise us up together to be with him. Friends, I need to hear loud and clear, God loves me this morning. But God's not going to force his salvation on you. He's not going to force his grace upon you. He wants to make you alive. He wants to forgive you of your sins. He wants to separate the sin that separates you from Him so that we can be alive, raised up with Him. The language here bears Scripture in two different references. When we go into the water and we are buried in Christ, our sins are forgiven. Now we are saved and we are raised with Christ. Romans 6, verse 3, 4, 5, and 6. And when we die, there's going to be that great and final day of resurrection where just as Jesus was resurrected from a physical grave, we're going to be resurrected from a physical grave and we're going to be given eternal life if we are raised with Jesus. Friend, it's the gift of grace. We can't merit it. We can't earn it. We don't deserve it. But friends, it is conditional. I have to respond to it. And in the scriptures, we see individuals that respond to that grace are individuals that believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that love God so much, they want God to be their master. So much love for God they're willing to repent and turn away from the taskmaster of Satan and turn to God. Turn away from the desires of lust and turn to the will of God. It's individuals that aren't ashamed. They're willing to confess before man that Jesus is the Son of God. And it's individuals that are willing to enter into the waters of baptism. There's not any power in the water. It's power in the God that says, that's where my grace will take away the guilt of your sins. 
Friends, as we close, maybe you want to turn to Luke, the 15th chapter. I want to just close by reminding you of a story that's very powerful as it illustrates grace. You remember the father that offered to his son what his son asked, and that was for the inheritance. And he went out into that far country in verse 13, and he wasted what God gave him, or what his father gave him. And he wasted it in righteous living. Life seemed good, symbolically, out in the trespasses of sin at first. And finally, the lies of Satan wore off and the reality set in. No one was there to care for him when the famine came. No one was there to provide for him when he needed someone to provide. Finally, a man let him feed his pigs, but the man didn't offer him enough support that he longed for the pig food while he was feeding the pigs. And finally, he remembers his father. He remembered the nature of his father to believe that his father would allow him to come back at least as a servant. He wasn't giving a sales pitch when he comes back to the father and he says, I don't deserve to be your son. I'm not worthy to be called your son. That's true. He wasn't worthy to be called his son. But you know what the father did? When the father saw his repentance, when the father saw his change of life, when the father saw that he was reaching out and wanting to be one with him again, immediately we see a picture of grace as immediately he cries for the ring, for the robe, for the shoes, for the fatted calf, after he has run, fell on his neck, and kissed him. That's a gracious God that says, I'm not going to rehearse all the past. I'm not going to rehearse all your sins. I just want to welcome you home. Are you ready to be my family? Friends, there's not a person here that deserves that. There's not anybody here worthy to wear the ring of our Father or the shoes or the robe. There's not a person here worthy to live in eternity in the presence of God. But God says, I love you that much. I'll offer you rich mercy. I'll give you saving grace. And people that accept that become new. They're saved. And according to verse 10 that we'll study next week, they're ready to do good works because that's what God's family does. Good works for others because God has done good things for us. Can I be blunt for just a moment? If you're not saved this morning, it's not because God hasn't done His part. Friends, God's done everything He could do for you except make you serving. He loves you so much. He offers you so much you don't deserve. He wants to give you so much that 
it will be mind-boggling. We can't understand it on this side of eternity. And what he wants to know is will you be his child? Will you come to him on his terms of salvation? Will you live in his family as a new creation, ready to serve him? Let's accept that grace this morning. If you've never been baptized into Christ and you need to this morning, or maybe you have been and yet somewhere along the way you've lost the way and you want to come back, let's please, please, let's all leave here this morning saved. Not by our merit, only by the grace of God. If we can help in any way, come as we stand, as we sing.